I'll now continue with the reading of sutras and uh, their meanings from the Yoga Sutra. This will be our final meeting on the theme of Yoga Sutra in this season. I am about to finish the chapter number three in this, in tonight's commentary. As most of you know by now, this is one of the most spectacular, if not the most spectacular part of the Yoga Sutra, because unlike many other parts which are heavily metaphysical and uh, pretty abstract in their approach to spirituality, here Patanjali in chapter number three is approaching the different effects of Samyama, the identification and the mental capacities or so-called powers which result from that. And therefore, the chapter number three is quite spectacular at places. Last time I spoke, I, the last sutra I commented was the sutra number 28 from chapter three, which was referring to the Samyama on the navel, on the navel chakra, which, would, which gives a complete knowledge of the body system. Therefore, that was a very important statement because I like to resume that idea because last time we were a bit interrupted by the storm and I could not go fully into the implications of it. But the idea is pretty clear. If you want to know your body system, if you want to be able to heal yourself, if you want to be able to have a knowledge of your nadis, chakras, organs, energy, if you want to have a knowledge of the body system generally as a knower, if you want to have a knowledge of the body systems of the others and to be able to help them, heal them, and so on and so forth, then uh, application of the Samya. The Sutra number 29 then comes with a more surprising one, still very down to earth, and it says something as follows. By performing Samyama on the throat pit, hunger and thirst can be subdued. Again, what is the throat pit? Nothing energetically, truly, nothing definitely physically, it's not about glands or other things. It is obvious for anybody who knows a brimful of yoga, and especially from the angle of tantric yoga, it is obvious that here Patanjali speaks about Vishuddha Chakra. This Samyama on the throat pit, on the pit of the throat, where therefore you start by focusing your attention in the pit of the throat, will definitely end for everybody who tries to do that for hours and hours every day in arousing Vishuddha Chakra and it will end by becoming a feeling, an awareness and a complete Samyama, an identification with energy of Vishuddha Chakra. Therefore, while in the case of the previous one, uh, Patanjali discreetly mentions Nabhi Chakra, the wheel of the belly button, whatever that is, the outsiders don't understand that. In the case of the of this 
Sutra, Patanjali does not mention the word chakra, he just says as a continuation by performing samyama on the throat bit, then he says hunger and thirst can be subdued. The explanation which is generally given is of course that because the yogin enters through Vishuddha chakra in touch with the essential sources of the cosmic subtle energies and is thus fed without resorting to usual food, anymore. This is basically the essence of another Siddhi. Basically Patanjali says you can obtain the capacity of not needing to eat and not needing to drink <coughs> by performing Samyama on the pit of the throat, which means eventually on Vishuddha Chakra. The anecdotic literature of yoga either under the form of uh, Paramahamsa Yogananda visiting Therese Neumann, uh, the Christian mystic, or uh, Paramahamsa Yogananda visiting Giribala, the woman yogini of India who was not eating, and others and others. There are again anecdotic stories which talk rather surprisingly and rather often about human beings who have diminished their need for food and for drink by supplementing it with a certain cosmic energy. There are people who tend to believe that if you get whatever energy from the universe, you are not going to need the food or drink perhaps. It is not quite true, it is not always so. Remember that here the yogis are speaking about certain energies and Patanjali is in particular speaking about Vishuddha Chakra. Therefore in yoga this is a very clear indication that in Vishuddha Chakra there exists a capacity, a siddhi, a paranormal ability which makes that the human being is felt with some sort of akasha, with some sort of pure energy of the fifth element and thus that human being actually does not need to eat and drink so much until it is possible that sometimes this need could be reduced to zero. Many of you know about uh, a few famous people today out of which uh, perhaps one of the most prominent is the famous Jasmuhin who also taught in our school who are preaching exactly this living with light living with prana, living with cosmic energy. Basically this process which they encourage is actually a process of developing Vishuddha Chakra. That is why this process does not work equally for everybody. People whose Vishuddha Chakra is spontaneously open and very activated will succeed this stunt more easily and people who have serious problems with Vishuddha Chakra, they actually have serious difficulties Unfortunately, people preaching these kind of things, they are a bit simplistic, they are a bit oversimplifying things, and that's why in the environment of people trying to live with light, to live with prana, nowadays there even exist cases that have been reported officially, in which actually some people have died trying to suppress the food completely, and just to go on living with energy living with light, living with prana. This is a clear demonstration of people whose Vishuddha Chakra was very bad and they tried to open it in three weeks. Such a leap is not possible 
therefore for such a person uh, in the tantric yoga would recommend that they should work a year or two on their Vishuddha chakra systematically opening it, energizing it, feeling it remarkably well and then go into attempts like those. And, but the fact remains, Patanjali basically claims that by performing Samyama on the Vishuddha Chakra, you are going to activate a certain energy which eliminates the need, not only the subjective need, but actually the need of the body for food and for water, for drinking. This thing has been seen in many other ways. You also have to think about the great ascetics who very often practice long-term fasting. The long-term fasting is, for example, a method which produces exactly such effect. The long-term fasting succeeds only in the condition where it arouses your Vishuddha Chakra. If not, your life is in danger, actually. That is why, willy-nilly, fasting for a long time has to be a purification. The correlation to the fact that Vishuddha Chakra is the Chakra of Purity and Purification is completely not coincidental here. And therefore, when you fast, you purify. When you purify, you activate Vishuddha Chakra. When you activate Vishuddha Chakra, you start getting some cosmic energy via Vishuddha Chakra, cosmic energy which can replace some of the input that we get through uh, the food and through the drinks. Therefore, here we are closing the circle. Therefore, remember as well that fasting for long durations of time, which has to be done under very controlled conditions, I want to mention that, fasting for long periods of time actually activates Vishuddha Chakra and tends to produce almost the uh, inception of a Samyama on Vishuddha Chakra because in this way it actually forces this process that you have to be fed by cosmic energies. You can draw conclusions in all senses from here, such as if I want to fast successfully, I should work on Vishuddha Chakra in the same period, because it means I have to accumulate some specific cosmic energy. But it's not, I'm not going to work on Manipura Chakra when I'm fasting. I'm going to work specially on Vishuddha Chakra. Not that Manipura Chakra is forbidden, but if I amplify the fire energy in my system while I'm fasting, this will actually create a more devouring effect inside me and not a soothing, nourishing effect as the Akasha Tattva, as the ether, the fifth element, the Vishuddha Chakra would produce <coughs> in my being. And therefore, that's why I say all these connections can and should be interpreted creatively, like I can do this, I can do this, this is related to this, and this is related to that. The fact remains, when Vishuddha Chakra is very activated, the human being feels the need less and less for food and drink, especially if the human being works intensely on that aspect at that present moment. For example, Therese Neumann was not doing yoga, but there is no doubt that because of her intense <coughs> phenomena of so-called stigmata, in which she was entering in resonance with the process of crucifixion and self-sacrifice of Jesus, Therese Neumann 
even without knowing what was happening to her, purified herself tremendously on various levels. And that automatically had a beneficial effect on her Vishuddha Chakra, which probably was developed to start with in her early life. And in this way, this woman found herself soon in her life, early in her life, that she didn't need to eat, she didn't want to eat. If she ate, she started feeling bad, she felt like throwing up. It's like food was not accepted by her body, because her body was now living on something else. This phenomenon is precisely described by uh, Patanjali when he mentions that if you perform Samyama on Vishuddha Chakra, then you are uh, able somehow to go without the raw nourishment. That also should show that when you do that, you become a little bit separate from the physical things. As you can infer from what I said, that some people simply couldn't eat, and then they became like very, very pristine, separated, isolated, like not really doing uh, trivial things anymore in their lives. In the same way, there is a sutra which comes later, which describes collateral or correlated virtues of Vishuddha Chakra, also as separating the human being from the gross aspects of existence, and therefore you have to understand that this Puritanism, which results from Vishuddha Chakra, will make your life a very, very separate, pristine, and sometimes in Kali Yuga, difficult life, because you will not be able to relate with any of the things which are gross and belong to daily life. Even people who have tried to apply the methods of Jasmuhin for living with light or living with prana, most of them, although they manage to give a shock and to fulfill it for a number of weeks and even months, afterwards they relapse because psychologically they do not resist not to take lunch with the family. The problem is not that they need to take lunch. The problem is that they need psychologically to take lunch with the family because it's a social event. So actually the problem is also psychological and mental and therefore once you have that ability then you don't want to take lunch with the family and that makes you a kind of odd fish, a kind of separate person, a kind of person who is not part of this Vadistana sociable uh, environment. And therefore, uh, of course, you have to understand that this Samyama on Vishuddha uh, has a price to pay. There is a price to pay to it, and the price is that you should marginalize yourself. You should become like Therese Neumann or Giribala, an odd person who sits somewhere and doesn't eat and wouldn't do anything very, very uh, down to earth. It's not entirely true because uh, Therese Neumann was doing some work in the garden and stuff. It's not 100% true, but it still shows a certain separation, a puritanic separation at the level of the mind. The same, this sutra is also bringing us the information that the formative energy which forms even the food, which is the source even of the food that we eat, is actually coming from Vishuddha Chakra and it is produced by Akasha Tadva. In this way you can understand that, for example, when Jesus multiplies, produces out of the blue, ultimately, 
bread and fish or whatever that combination was, according to the official Bible, bread and fish, that production of bread and fish, that materialization, is actually coming from Vishuddha Chakra. That is why this process of materialization has much to do with Vishuddha Chakra, and that is exactly from where, yes, you can get the food under its energetic form, or in, case of, in the case of Jesus, because the masses cannot accede to it in that form, then Jesus is simply materializing it to them under known forms such as bread and fish, and he gives it to them and they eat it physically, and that was it. And therefore, it is the same energy, the same energy which allows the multiplication and the creation out of ether, because it's exactly like Jesus creates ether patterns, matrices, which produce an endless almost number, an enormous number of bread and fish to feed thousands and perhaps tens of thousands of people at some point. And therefore, again, the energy which creates the materialization, the energy which is involved in the process of the materialization of the bread and fish, uh, the energy which is involved in the the story of Giribala and Therese Neumann, the energy which is involved in all the processes of living with light and living with prana as uh, promoted by Jaspuhin and other teachers today. This kind of energy, which is also related with the fasting and with the purification, is an energy which belongs to Vishuddha Chakra, and you can realize that Patanjali basically says, it's not that you feel a little vibration in your Vishuddha Chakra. Samyama dance daily on Vishuddha Chakra means that your Vishuddha Chakra becomes hyper-activated, super-activated at levels which are paranormal. Surely, a global arousing of the chakras and of the energy collaterally gives this effect. For example, in yoga, it is mentioned, and every one of you has verified that or can verify that if you'll apply yourself to do that, that if you start making more than a certain amount of pranayama, if you start doing more than two hours of pranayama every day, the immediate consequence is that you eat less, you sleep less, and you drink less, it's like your body simply doesn't need. And therefore, uh, all these things are convergent, and uh, the Sutra of Patanjali is therefore the key which unites them all, which brings them all together. Remember practically that these subtle energies which sustain life, therefore, are coming via Vishuddha Chakra, the sutra number 30 is describing another paranormal accomplishment and says steadiness is achieved by Samyama on the Kurma Nadi. First of all, a comment on the first word. Steadiness may also mean steadiness of the body, such as steadiness of the body during the state of meditation, which is a very, very useful a thing, but it is also explained as the cataleptic state known in hypnotism, allowing to one hibernation-like phenomena. And just to clarify, uh, first of all, the basic clarifications, the Kurmanadi is a nadi, a channel of energy, a meridian, 
which is known to be situated just below the throat. So it's again related to Vishuddha Chakra, but it is considered to be just like a little bit lower. It would be under the breastbone, under the place where the collarbones are meeting. So it's in that place where the yogis are pressing when they want to achieve the Jalantara Bandha or some uh, additions to Jalantara Bandha. Those of you who have studied Jalantara Bandha in this school, you know what I'm talking about practically. The easiest method to practice the Samyama on the Kurmanadi is to meditate therefore on the point where the chin touches the chest in the Jalandhara Bandha, which is on the bone here, but a little bit, like a couple of centimeters lower. Or you can do that even in Sarvangasana, in the shoulder stand, because in the shoulder stand your chin is pressing in the chest, and that point is there. And of course, uh, here you have also to intelligently connect this with the asana which exists in yoga and some of you have studied already which is called kurmasana it is not a coincidence that kurmasana is called like this that the fact that there exists a nadi which is called kurmanadi let's try to synthesize these things first of all there exists a mysterious nadi somewhere lower than Vishuddha chakra somewhere like a couple of centimeters, three, four centimeters maximum, under the Vishuddha Chakra, therefore still in the area of the lower throat, in the area of the collarbones and of the uh, place where the, the two arteries which go to the brain, uh, in the, the carotidian, the carotids, the carotidian arteries, they meet here, they join here, forming a a sinus, the so-called sinus, the carotidian sinus. And therefore, Kurmanadi is somewhere in that area, and the yogis have got inspired by this, because uh, they have got inspired by a lot of things from nature. The yogis have seen, for example, that frogs in the winter hibernate. How do frogs hibernate? They have their tongue turned back. I don't know if you know that the frogs have their tongue the other way around, so they can flip it out like this, but it is articulated exactly the other way around than the human tongue, which is articulated like this. And therefore, the yogis have come up with a bizarre theory, which is actually not the result of a scientific study, but more of their identification, the energy which they could feel when a frog hibernated, they simply performed samyama with the frogs to see how does a frog feel when it hibernates. What does it take? What would it take for me to be able to hibernate? And therefore, they discovered that this is related to this thing with the tongue, and that's why the yogis have all these weird things with the tongue, of swallowing the tongue, curling it back and putting it down in the throat, the famous Kechari Mudra with its different <coughs> varieties. And uh, because of this, uh, also, the yogis have given a lot of similes to the frog. Every time when they talk to the frog, they think about hibernation, because that's one of the main qualities of the frogs, according to the uh, yogis. That is why even in Bekasana, the famous pose of the frog, it actually involves that you push your chin forward and something stretches a lot here and your attention being focused on the heart chakra and something stretching here, there is a kind of natural tendency to focus on this area in the heart 
and here. And because of this doing Bekasana, you are actually activating a little bit the Kurmanadi again. And you are doing the posture of the frog and the frogs hibernate because of this Kurmanadi. So it's the same chain of connections. They close. They simply want to say that every time you work on this Kurmanadi, you achieve a process which the yogis have identified first of all into frogs and that this process is actually a process of hibernation. Now, from this, you can infer two levels. The first level is that when you perform meditation, sometimes those of you who have a good meditation, you have noticed that you don't feel your body anymore, and you go into a sort of trance. You are simply gone into the energy, gone into the mind, gone into the meditation, and sometimes you don't feel your body, you are like numb, sometimes you come back to your body, to the physical reality after half an hour or one hour, and it's like a lot of time has passed, and sometimes you just notice that your body got numb and stiff, and the meditation has taken a lot of time, and that is usually the mark in yoga, at least, that is the mark of a very good meditation, when you manage to go completely, when you manage to be so absorbed that only pure spirit reveals itself to you. And this being said, the yogis wanted first of all a kind of hibernation while meditating, like a sort of trance that your body doesn't disturb you. And yes, this comes through practice, of course, and this can depend on some characteristics of the human being, such as your astrological sign, dominant tattva, dominant element, dominant chakra and energy, but the yogis have looked upon it in a more technical way, trying to go to the root of this process. And to make the long story short, the yogis have therefore noticed that this state of hibernation, like of trance, has something to do with a nadi, with an energy located in the area of Vishuddha Chakra, immediately under Vishuddha Chakra. And therefore, <clears throat> the yogis have looked into this from two standpoints. One, if you perform Samyama on Kurma Nadi, this automatically is going to give you more absorption, it is going to make you more trance-like, your meditation will be more like absorbed and you will achieve pratyahara and other levels of meditation more easily. But some yogis have looked upon it deeper than that because some yogis wanted to see how far can they push it. And then instead of just talking about it like stability, uh, just uh, on a daily meaning, on a casual meaning, steadiness, they spoke about it as uh, steadiness in the meaning that your body freezes, your body hibernates. You enter into a trance and then it can go so deep as if you were hypnotized, as if you were cataleptic. It is as a state of catalepsy. The anecdotes in yoga are countless. It's one of the marks. It was one of the long-lasting obsessions of yogis to demonstrate that they could go cataleptic, that they could go into this trance. Not breathing, not eating, not drinking, not this, not that, being like completely turning like logs, 
and the ultimate demonstration being that you can bury your body for days and days and sometimes months and years, that you can lock your body in a box which is airtight and seal it and put it in the most impossible places such as dug, sink it under water and others and then <coughs> you, will, you would obtain uh, the same phenomenon that you are in trance uh, I have seen demonstrations if, still in the 20th century there were many yogis who were going into this direction some yogis consider this just a stunt, it's just a city, and they say, why should I work five years just to obtain a state of hibernation? Some yogis claim that this state of hibernation, so to speak, uh, can be related with some higher states of consciousness, because it is a state of trance, it is a state of absorption, it is a state in which the body disappears and only the mind and the higher levels of mind remain active, and therefore in such a state some people could actually use it for transcending, for going beyond this world somehow. And that is why the opinions are split. Uh, the same thing is the story with the famous Kechari Mudra, a typical application in yoga of this was Kechari Mudra. The Kechari Mudra, I do not uh, need to describe it, it's described in books, it is one of the more inaccessible yoga techniques, and uh, unfortunately it is most often described in a wrong manner. I would like to warn you that, don't just take it from books and perform it because until now 90% of the descriptions which I read of it were wrong, seriously wrong, and therefore, and even when it is not wrong, that is definitely not a technique that you want to decide lightly to practice, it's a very demanding one. I personally have known yogis, I've had pupils and friends who tried to do the Kechari Mudra the hard way, and either they got trouble or they didn't get almost anything out of it because they were not instructed upon some subtle elements there. And therefore, um, I, this is a parenthesis actually, because we can say that in Hatha Yoga and in Kundalini Yoga, Kechari Mudra is also a method, among others, it is a method of performing Samyama on Kurma Nadi. The phenomenon which results from the successful practice of one of the varieties of Kechari Mudra is actually nothing else but a Samyama on Kurmanadi because it generates precisely this state of trance. Again, the yoga literature is crazy with anecdotal stories about yogis who stopped their heart, stopped their breath, didn't eat and didn't drink and they stayed in trance, in catalepsy, in meditation or whatever they would call it for hours, days, months and sometimes years. Some, there is a story in India about some dude which is apparently doing it since six centuries who is buried under a mound in Rajasthan someplace and apparently he has been there, nobody dares to dig him out because it's a religious pilgrimage place now but the legends say that under that hill there is the tomb of, not the tomb, the retreat place of a great yogi who for 600 years has been doing the Kechari Mudra or has been into the cataleptic state. And uh, 
therefore, who is in that state. That's why there are various kinds of anecdotal stories about uh, what can be done through this. Doctors have studied it. There's been one of the yogis from India who has been even dislodged to New York and uh, studied in New York in the Rockefeller Institute, and he produced the same results. He was able to spend seven days buried under earth with electrodes on his body and to demonstrate that he could actually live without breathing and without oxygen or air or anything. And therefore, the stories here are many. There is a whole spectacular branch there. We have to say that most of the time this is very spectacular, but of very, very little productivity in spiritual yoga. Neither Paramahamsa Yogananda, nor Ramakrishna, nor Mahananda Mai, nor Shivananda, nor any of the giants of yoga of the last two centuries felt the need to do or teach Kechari Mudra to experience states of trance and others like this because they discovered that they could obtain the spiritual states of consciousness through other modalities of yoga, much less spectacular and not requiring all kind of trance-like phenomena which ultimately violate the laws of nature. Because if you were to live for seven days without breathing and without your heart beating, that is definitely a kind of miracle. It's a complete uh, deviation from the laws of nature, physics, biology, as we know them. And therefore, uh, why violate the laws of nature so spectacularly and flashily when actually you can do the spiritual, you can fulfill the spiritual aspiration of your heart with, with much less fuss and much less showmanship. And that is why most yogis actually, most of the spiritual yogis have ignored completely this matter that, oh, maybe you can do trans things and so on. That's why we are not teaching it in this school so much. I'm giving you details about it. Any practical details which you need to have are being described. But, and, uh, but remember that from a strictly spiritual standpoint, it is overrated. It is largely overrated. The point, again, is the yogis have discovered that by activating the Kurmanadi, an energy channel placed a bit lower than Vishuddha Chakra, the human being tends to stop breathing and to go into some sort of catalepsy, some sort of uh, hibernation-like process. And normally, this process will not have much spiritual implications. That means you can go there in this cataleptic state, and afterwards come back and be, let's put it in a stupid way, you can be as stupid as before doing it. It's like it's not going to give you anything but the capacity to make a stun. It's exactly like people who go in a trance and dance on coal, on burning coal. Yes, their faith may be strengthened through it, but spiritually they do not advance because they walk on live coal or something like that. That's why most of these trance-like states where people poke themselves with metallic spikes and walk on fire and fall into trance and catalepsy and things like this are actually not directly 
related to the spiritual aspect. Actually, the most of the tantric yogis claim that these cataleptic states are produced by the interaction with certain entities, exactly as in the trance which is produced shamanically through various methods by different shamans and medicine men, and that's why this trance is more or less like a possession, ultimately, in various ways to various extents. And that is why, funny enough, many yogis were not interested to explore these, uh, these things, these trans uh, stories, and the Kurmanadi and the Katalepsi and all these things, but at the same time they have agreed on the fact that it is possible, and some of the lesser yogis, the so-called fakirs and other of the babas who are trying to perform spectacular things, they sometimes have gone into this, and even in the 20th century you find serious scientific research which has measured, which has made measurements upon such individuals who managed to confirm the possibility of different degrees of the state of trance. This being said, the information is therefore pretty clear. Patanjali says if you focus on Kurmanadi, which is activated during various techniques, even Jalandharabandha, even the shoulder stand and the plow, Halasana, even during Bekasana, and let us not forget, even during Kurmasana, the yogis always love this double entendre, that Kurmasana is the turtle pose, but at the same time it has the same name as the Kurmanadi. So the, it's not a coincidence that in Kurmasana, as you stretch the chin sometimes, or as you compress it when you do it in the other way, because there are several versions of Kurmasana and several degrees of performing it, automatically some energy tends to go in Anahata and higher, and therefore collaterally there will be an arousal of Kurmanadi. That is why those of you who practice Kurmasana, besides the spiritual effects which have been described for you already in the practice of Kurmasana, you can add now a small information which was actually written in your courses, but maybe you overlooked because you didn't get the full impact of it, and that is that Kurmasana also activates the Kurmanadi, and if you focus on that particular aspect, on that particular energy, this can put you in some trance-like state, which again resemble hibernation, and which uh, can uh, produce spectacular phenomena. The same thing, once more, is partly aimed at through one of the forms of performance of Kechari Mudra, although even there Kurmanadi is not mentioned specifically and clearly. Anyhow, I have given you a lot of connections to think about. These are the Tantric Yoga connections, the chakra, energy, techniques and other conceptual connections for uh, describing or for understanding better this Sutra of Patanjali about Samyama on the Kurma Nadi. The Sutra number 31 says, By performing Samyama on the sublime light of Brahmarandra, which is, for those of you who have studied yoga, the light in the top of the head, we are going to talk about it in a second, a direct vision, which can also mean a telepathic contact, because it's an internal vision, 
of the masters of yoga, or the so-called Siddhas, is gay. The light of Brahmarandra, of Sahasrara, is here called Murtha Jyoti, so it is like the sublime light, and the commentators explain that this sublime light is the one placed on top of the head. And for those of you who are studying at deeper levels in this school, the Tantric Yoga, you most probably remember then that the light which is associated with the top of the head, with Sahasrara, is what we call the shining white. Therefore, this light can be nothing else but shining white, and actually that's the way the commentators and collateral texts, that's the way they describe it. And therefore, this sutra says, on top of the head, in Brahmarandra, right in the middle of Sahasrara, one can visualize or see a bright white light. By performing some yama on this light, which means you should constantly focus on the top of the head, visualize a white light, a shining white light, like electric wire, <coughs> and, and not only concentrate on it, but focus so much on it until you start reaching some yama with it, until you start merging with it, identifying with it, then there results vision, the word which is used here is darshanam, and darshanam means when you have the vision. For example, if there is darshana of deities, when a god or a goddess appears to you, that's a darshan. It gives you that god or deity gives you darshan. So it is a vision, but it has to be understood in the enlarged meaning of telepathic contact, of communion, of energy union, with the Siddhas. The Siddhas in some Indian traditions, both in the Indian Southern tradition, in the Shaiva Siddhanta from South India, as well as in the Kashmirian Shaiva tradition from the far north of India, the Siddha was a preferred name for defining enlightened beings, those yogis who have reached perfection, because Siddha means perfect, so it would mean the perfect ones. However, in the classical yoga from later times, and not so much in the Shaiva tradition, the word Siddha has been used equivalently, and therefore it disturbs the meaning of this uh, simple sutra, because Siddha has been used to designate yogis who have paranormal powers. A yogi who has paranormal powers would be designated as Siddha, and a yogi who has reached enlightenment, like Ramana Maharishi, would be defined as Jivan Mukta, a liberated living being. And therefore, <coughs> the word Siddha in India, in some places, in some areas, bears a slightly different connotation with the meaning that a Siddha is not as good as a Jivan Mukta. A Siddha is a kind of second category, second class yogi, because the first class yogis are the Jivan Muktas, the ones who have reached total enlightenment. However, it seems that Patanjali in his Yoga Sutra refers to the first meaning of the word Siddha because he means by Siddha enlightened beings related to Sahasrara. So Patanjali does not say by performing some Yama on a bright light in the top of your head 
you are going to see or to be in contact with powerful yogis that have obtained paranormal powers, but actually he says, by performing samyama on this jyoti, on this light from the top of the head, you are going to start being in contact telepathically, have darshan if you prefer, of the enlightened beings of the yogis that have reached full enlightenment. This second uh, interpretation is much more correct, actually, to the resonances which are involved here. Therefore, again, Patanjali says, you can visualize on top of your head, right in the very top where Brahmaranda is, you can visualize a white light. It should be a shining, sparkling white light, like the light produced by electric soldering of metals, by the electric wire. It should be the kind of dazzling, blinding, intense white. This kind of white light, you have to focus on it until you start obtaining samyama, and that means a lot, because samyama, unless you are very good at samyama, samyama cannot be obtained in a matter of seconds or minutes. Therefore, you have to focus on it for hours and days and for a long time if you are a beginner, and that simply means you have to develop a kind of sweet obsession for this light in the top of the head. To focus on the light on the top of the head, you actually need to twist your eyeballs in certain ways, because it's like you are looking up there, so you have to somehow look inwardly somewhere here. That's not at all an easy task. For most people it sounds impossible. It will generate extreme fatigue and collateral effects in your eyeballs. Those of you who are trained already in the Chanchari Mudra, the Black Bean Mudra, and in the frontal Trataka, they already know a bit of the elements which are involved into this. And uh, then you should know that this represents like <clears throat> the next level, pushing it further. Actually, in the tradition of yoga, there exists a special branch of yoga and a special technology which is directly implied here. And Patanjali comes back to that at least two times. And he mentioned it before also, when I will say, you will remember that I spoke about this already at least once. Uh, there exists a branch of yoga called Taraka Yoga. And Patanjali comes back to it a lot, which means that most probably Patanjali was initiated or knowing about this form of yoga. This so this mysterious Taraka Yoga is precisely about visualizing different lights and different colors to obtain spiritual phenomena. It's mostly oriented towards spiritual phenomena, not paranormal or... Uh, spectacular phenomena, and the most uh, spiritual form of Taraka, the most classic, which is actually implied clearly by Patanjali here, is to focus your attention on a bright white light shining right on top of your head. So basically here Patanjali describes in his own way and with his own words, he actually describes Taraka. He describes the Taraka technique in Sahasrara. The same technique described in the Taraka Yoga texts and described by Patanjali in the Yoga Sutra can be found in other places of the universal yoga tradition in India 
Kashmir Tibet. For example, the Kashmirians in Kashmir Shaivas, they have in their legendary meditation text, Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, they have one of their famous meditation techniques for obtaining the state of Samadhi, is exactly the same. So, it is focusing on the shining white light which shines on top of your head in Brahmarandra. Therefore, this technique is authenticated at least on three major spiritual paths of yoga in India, and therefore it is one of the great classics. Therefore, any one of you who wishes to try, now from Patanjali and later when you study in this school, Taraka Yoga and the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, each one at its own, at its due time, throughout your yoga training and education, uh, you are going therefore to have the opportunity, even starting now, to do this most powerful technique. This is a very powerful technique, which Taraka Yoga claims that it leads to Samadhi, and the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra claims that it also leads to Samadhi. Patanjali, in a bizarre way, does not seem to care too much about the Samadhi angle to it, although in the next sutras he suddenly uh, makes some uh, in very interesting commentaries you are going to see, um, and, but nevertheless Patanjali seems to ignore the Samadhi, the enlightenment angle to this, and he says at least this much, by performing Samyama on this light on top of the head, you are going to get union, communion, telepathic contact, darshan, vision of the siddhas of the perfect enlightened beings. Which means if you are going to do some Samyama on the light on top of the head, you are going to see Ramakrishna or something like this. Which actually means you are going to be enlightened because that's what it takes basically to see an enlightened being that has passed away the siddhas of the past. Because the siddhas of the past are not just coming down to play games. They are obeying to some very particular spiritual rules in the game which they are playing. And because of this, to have access to them, you have to basically go to them. And all in all, what Patanjali says here is the same thing, but in a pretty convoluted way, in a pretty complicated way. Patanjali says, perform Samyama on the white shining light in Brahmarandra, and you are going to start communing with the Siddhas, with the perfect adepts of your. Therefore, this is a new angle. Any one of you is curious to feel the great yogis of your, Matsyendra and Goraksha, and Patanjali, and Shank Adi Shankaracharya, and Abhinavagupta, and uh, Ramakrishna, and the likes of them, perform Taraka Yoga on the top of the head, or better said, perform Samyama on the bright white light on top of the head, and this means you have to do loads and loads of it, which means you have to do hours of this every day before some Samyama should start manifesting. This is a bit difficult, and basically it means it has to become a sweet obsession. The Vijnana Bhairava Tantra even recommends this white light, you should see it even when you dream. You should be aware of the fact that you have a shining white light white right here, 
emanating all the time. Even in your sleep, even in your dreams, you should have the feeling that you have a lamp above the top of your head and there is always, always light, shining white light. It's like it should be obsessing you day and night. You should have the awareness of this all the time. When you eat and when you walk and whatever you do, you should feel the shining white light in your Brahmarandra shining down on the rest of the structure. And therefore, uh, this is uh, ultimately also a shloka sutra which gives us connection with many other things from yoga and which is validated. So Patanjali doesn't say again anything new, but he says it in his own way and it is again double verified through this correlation with other systems of yoga. So that was the samyama on the light in the top of the head. And the next sutra, Patanjali is actually uh, completing the idea and he again talks about Taraka. That's why I said that there are some clear indications that Patanjali knew this technology of Taraka Yoga as well. It's a very short sutra. The previous one, number 31, said, by performing samyama on the subtle light of Brahmarandra, one can have a direct vision and telepathic contact with the Siddhas, with the masters of yoga. And in the sutra number 32, he links to it, and he said, or everything, or the same thing, everything which has been said above, can be reached by virtue of pratibha, which we translated in a previous sutra as intuition or prescience. Pratibha, if you remember, was presented even in the chapter number three as a sort of clairvoyance, the light of Ajna Chakra. So basically Patanjali says, or also contact with the Siddhas, with the masters of yoga, can be obtained through Ajna Chakra through the light of Ajna Chakra. So basically Patanjali says, either you focus on the light in Sahasrara, or you do some Yama on the light in Ajna, you can in both cases obtain contact with the yogis of your. Why is that? Because most of the great spirits that help this planet are remaining at a level which is equivalent to the level of Shambhala. And according to the initiates and to the yogis, Shambhala resonates at Ajna Chakra. Even the lord of the world, the king of the world, the ruler of Shambhala, is actually emanating a presence on Ajna Chakra, not on Sahasrara. And therefore, through Ajna Chakra, one can actually contact most of the divine spirits, which once upon a time have been great saints, mystics, yogis, bodhisattvas, seers and others, and who now are floating in the subtle parallel spheres and from there telepathically support and help spirituality on this planet, such as under the form of Shambhala. And therefore, uh, this sutra actually gives like a hidden alternative to the previous one. Here the name Pratibha is actually a synonymous of Taraka, again, because it speaks about light, but light related to Ajna Chakra, because Pratibha is clairvoyance from Ajna Chakra. It is insight, is again, clairvoyance. 
And therefore, this is a, another reference to the secret meditation system on light, which is the heart of Taraka Yoga, the Taraka Yoga system. We could say that Pratibha would be well translated as the sixth sense, as clairvoyance. That's the meaning of it. And basically, Patanjali comes, retraces his footsteps and says, oh, not only the white light in Sahasrara, but even Ajna Chakra and the light of it is actually generating the same process. Those of you who will study or who have studied already Taraka Yoga in this school, you know that in Taraka Yoga the concentration starts at the level of Ajna Chakra under the form of some peculiar phenomena of light and then this luminescence is pushed or modified for the level of Sahasrara under the form of the shining white light. It is not the case for me now to start describing Taraka Yoga. That is a technique which is anyhow taught in the lore, in the yoga lore of this school. I'm just calling your attention upon the fact that actually in the sutras number 31 and 32, besides all the other connections, actually Patanjali describes the Sahasrara form of Taraka Yoga in the first one, and the Ajna form of Taraka Yoga in the second one. So he describes them in reverse order than they usually are described, but nevertheless things go that way. So basically, here Patanjali says clairvoyance, Pratibha, the Taraka Yoga performed at the level of Ajna Chakra resulting in this Pratibha or clairvoyance, the sixth sense, also generates all these effects. Some people will say, wait a second, but you said that in Vijnana Bhairava and even in Taraka Yoga, when it was focused on Sahasrara, it was meant to generate Samadhi and enlightenment. What about the level of Ajna Chakra? It is true, that one will not generate the full enlightenment and the full Samadhi, but it will still generate the state of clairvoyance in which you have the Darshan of the Siddhas. And because Patanjali focused on this aspect and not on the aspect of Samadhi or enlightenment, then for him it is like indifferent, it is as well. You can do the white light in Brahmarandra or you can do this Pratibha, this Ajna Chakra thing, if you know how. He doesn't describe, he's very discreet. The only thing which you can understand if you haven't studied Taraka yet is that you somehow would have to do, make some yama of, on some luminosity in the area of Ajna Chakra. Well, the description is not precise enough, so with this one you will have to wait. Here Patanjali just gives an information for those who already know. He says, by Samyama on this light in Ajna Chakra as described in Taraka Yoga, then you can also have Darshan, telepathic vision, communication, communion with the Siddhas because they will answer onto that wavelength as well. They don't answer only when they are appealed directly in Sahasrara, but also through this Ajna Chakra and Pratibha. So the information is useful, but remember that Patanjali again says, does not speak here about the aspect of enlightenment or uh, spiritual realization, which of course is not valid in this case. Now, 
one more sutra to be commented and then we will most probably stop. The sutra number 33 continues with a list of samyamas and says, by samyama on the heart, awareness of citta dawns. This is a short and very slippery sutra. It's just made of three words, hridaya, hridaya is the heart, citta, which means the spirit, the mind, the citta is the, you have, we study in this school the concept of citta in the second month of yoga already when you start to study the laws of mind. So for the yogis, citta means this ensemble of conscious and subconscious mind. So the citta and then samvid, samvid is consciousness, the realization, awareness. So, by performing it on Hridaya, Chitta Samvit, you have the awareness of Chitta. But the awareness of Chitta, what does it mean? This Sutra has two very different translations uh, because of this. It can be translated in a more down-to-earth way, and it can be translated in a more spiritual way. Because, therefore, for the spiritual meaning, a secret is hidden here. A secret meaning. Usually, this sutra is interpreted as saying like this. By meditation on Anahata Chakra, by Samyama on the heart chakra, or in the area of the heart, the adept gains knowledge of the mind of others, like a kind of empathy. This is the way it is translated. If you read most editions, of Yoga Sutra, this is how they translate it. If you perform Samyama on the heart, you will obtain knowledge of the mind of the others. And that simply means you become empathic, you become telepathic. Even this meaning is paradoxical if we analyze it a little bit, because people say, wait a second, we expected that if we do Samyama on Ajna Chakra, we should kind of communicate with the minds of other people. In the heart, we are supposed to communicate with the hearts of other people. This is usually the Svadhisthanistic understanding, because people believe that the heart is some emotional level. Read again Rumi, and see that when he talks to God, he says, I look in your eyes intoxicated with passion, and you look back with the serenity of love. Love is not intoxicated with passion. It is serene, because the actual love is something almost intellectual. If you are going to make the most simple connection, you are going to see that the fourth chakra, Anahata chakra, corresponds analogously in the structure of the human being to the fourth body, which is Vijnana Mayakosha. Therefore, the fourth chakra is somehow like the fourth body, which means the fourth chakra is intellectual, refined, elevated. It is not fiery. Manipura chakra is passionate, fiery, and the same way we can say about the astral body, which is a body of fire and passion and feelings and emotions and astral projection and the rest. This is one of the terrible mistakes. Some people believe that the heart is like the astral body and therefore the heart is something emotional and flowing that is actually an inferior form of the heart. The heart itself in the yogic tradition is defined in two. 
the Kashmir Shaivist presents the lotus of the heart as two lotuses, which are like two cups joining each other. There is a half of the lotus of the heart which looks down, and that's the lower love called in India Kama, which means passion. And there is a, the other lotus of the heart which looks up to God, and that's the divine love, the pure love, which is called Prema. And in the heart you have both Kama and Prema, which means there is a form of the heart which is actually generating sensuality. You should see in the spiritual studies which are made, for example, by the Christian mystics. The Christian mystics discovered pretty quickly that if they make the prayer in a wrong way, they become horny and sensual because they hit the wrong part of Anahata Chakra. And Anahata Chakra has a part where it goes, where it is the lower, where it's Kama. And actually a monk meditating in the desert, he doesn't need any Kama because that will drive him nuts. He needs Prema. And that is why, for example, when you'll ever read, if you'll ever read the high technology teachings about the prayer of the heart in Christian mysticism, they say that you can draw the breath in and you should draw the breath in your heart, but not too low. They always advise that when you focus, for example, in the esoteric tradition, in the Hesychast tradition of the prayer of the heart, when you focus on the heart, like you draw the air in, and in your heart you say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and all the rest of the thing, that thing should not be lower than the middle of the chest. It should actually be higher. They say very clearly that it should be like somewhere up here, above the heart, in, but above the middle of the chest. And they say if you let the prayer go down, you make a big mistake if it goes in the lower part of the heart. <clears throat> the implication being precisely this duality of the heart. And that is why there are aspects in Anahata Chakra which are related to the astral body and others which make Anahata Chakra passionate, fiery, and the Anahata Chakra in itself, the Anahata Chakra in Anahata Chakra, the proper Anahata Chakra, is actually more like mental, intellectual, because the mind, in a certain way, it is the mind which generates some of those aspects. For example, people who have a very good Anahata Chakra, they don't necessarily feel other people's emotions, but in a certain way, they think other people's emotions. Like they tend to do something, and then suddenly they stop in the middle of the action and say, if I'm going to do this, what will Walter do about it? It's like, I put myself in the shoes of Walter all the time. I can feel Walter, but it's not really feeling him organically. It's more like something rings a bell in my mind. And we know that there are people who are inconsiderate. They never think about others. And I have met people, even in yoga, I have had pupils to whom I had to constantly draw their attention because they were overtreading the limits. They were never considering the feelings or the things of the other people. And the truth is that they didn't have to feel it. Like I'm talking to you and you today are premenstrual and suddenly I feel that you are premenstrual and I'm saying, oh, poor you, I can feel that you are a bit irritated or whatever. 
and uh, I'm better not going to ask you this silly question, or I'm better going to come tomorrow with my problem. It's not this. It is more like I'm asking this question, and if I'm a person, and some people even consider this that part of the education, this is like the seven years in your home with your mother, you know? It's like what makes you well-educated. It's like what makes you a decent human being, you know? I'm doing something, and suddenly something in my mind says, maybe this person is actually not expecting me to tell this today to them. Maybe this person is actually a bit tired right now. So then I'm becoming very... You know, I'm saying, is it the right moment for you, for me to ask you this? Maybe I shouldn't talk. It's not that I feel an overwhelming, scorching thing which hurts me. I'm saying, oh, I could feel your emotion. That is also possible. But that is not a typical anahata. A typical anahata is lighter. The impact, the, the thing of the heart comes somehow mental. It's an intellectual thing. It's like I am such a refined person that I think about other people. I put myself in their shoes. I am considerate about this. I am doing some things and if I am not, then it means I don't have that aspect of the heart very well developed. Sure, these things are very, very, very simplistically explained because these things are combined with a lot of other factors. It doesn't work as simple as that. But uh, what I'm trying to describe here is that actually, for the first interpretation of this sutra, actually for the yogis, the mind is not so much emotional as intellectual. It is a lighter thing. You can say that a very elevated poet has something in the heart. The people who have a good anahata and they have a certain shade of blue in their aura, which those of you who are studying the color streams of energy in this school, you know what shade of blue I'm talking about, then they become very good in writing. Like we always say, Shakespeare had that shade of blue in his aura. And many of the things which Shakespeare writes are from the heart. There is a light heart there. When Shakespeare writes much ado about nothing, actually Shakespeare writes something from the heart there. It is light. It is healing. It is affectionate. It is forgiving. It is, there is... <clears throat> but funny enough, it's not an emotionalism. This is something which is difficult to understand. For some people don't understand that something in Anahata is almost cool. It's like a cool breeze. It's like the breath of the wind. The Anahata Chakra is not necessarily a place of fiery passion. That more suggests Manipura and the astral body, not Anahata and the mental body. And therefore, by analogy to each, with each other. And therefore, remember that the yogis have considered that at the level of Anahata, we are actually having a correspondent of, of the mental body, Vijnana Maya Kosha, and therefore we are having an understanding of the mind. And that is why the yogis have said, when you are in Anahata, if you do Samyama on Anahata Chakra, that translation is not wrong. I'm saying again, this Sutra has a double entendre, and that's why we have to analyze them separately. The lower meaning is this, 
by performing samyama on anahata chakra, you get to be more and more in Vijnanamaya Kosha in the mental body, and thus you get to be a sort of telepathic person. A typical application of this appears in the astrological sign of the Gemini. Very often people born under the astrological sign of the Gemini have a certain arousing of Anahata Chakra and of Vijnanamaya Kosha, and they are at the same time affectionate and smart. And this mixture makes that very often people born in the astrological sign of the Gemini are telepathic. Most telepathic abilities, you find them to the Geminis, to the people who have a lot of Gemini in their horoscope. The telepathic ability of the Geminis can get so disturbing, especially if the Gemini in, per, in, the, in cause is a very yin person, very receptive, because the Geminis can become almost mediumic. There are many mediums, like spirit is mediums, and some of the New Age uh, channel, trans-channelers and others of today, which are Geminis, or which have a structure, a Mercurian Gemini type of structure. This is therefore precisely because of that. This Gemini-like thing, air and mind, is exactly a typical archetype, and this is actually uh, what the yogis refer to, uh, Patanjali in particular, in this sutra. If you perform Samyama on the heart as heart chakra, you become more and more of a Gemini, and you start being telepathic, which means you will start understanding the way other people think, because that's a matter of the heart. If suddenly I'm talking to somebody and that person feels uncomfortable, if I really want to be receptive, because sometimes I might want to do it anyhow, because that person has to be smashed. But if I am doing it on an absolutely neutral position, then I'm talking and suddenly I notice that, oh, that person is not comfortable, so maybe I should stop. Maybe I should change the direction of my talk. Maybe I should start from a different point. This kind of telepathic sensitivity, which comes more like a sort of telepathic message, it's more like an intellectual thing, is actually related to the heart. That is why remember that the true heart, the Anahata Chakra, is not so emotional and so instinctual as some people believe in. Those are fake forms of love, which are coming from Manipura, and that is called desire or passion, or from Svadhisthana, and that is called lust, romance, emotionalism, and whatever else is there. Therefore, Patanjali surprises us through the first meaning, because he redefines the heart. He's very good in pointing directly to the elevated part of the heart. There is no Kama in what Patanjali speaks about the heart. There is Prema. Patanjali hits at the high levels of the heart. And he says, if you perform Samyama on the heart, and he means again the heart chakra as an area of the body, then this will make you able to have awareness of the minds of other people. A kind of awareness of the thoughts of other people. A kind of empathy, a kind of telepathy, if you prefer. However, in the higher yogic and tantric tradition, the name Hridaya is not denoting Anahata Chakra, like in Kashmir Shaivism and not only. 
but the void space of Sushumna Nadi, the void space in the spine, which is related to Sahasrara, which could also be called, or which is called in some westernized tra translations, the center. Those of you who studied Kashmir Shaivism in this school, you must have heard about Madhya, the center, which is exactly this Hridaya, the heart, and which is related rather with Sahasrara and with the middle channel, with the central channel. From this, there comes the famous concept of centering, especially Osho Rajneesh, quoting some other contemporary texts, he called it, he spoke so much about centering. This centering being nothing else but the reaching of this center, or Hridaya, or Madhya, or central channel, and so on. And therefore, it is only from here that one can actually get full knowledge upon the nature of the mind. So the second meaning of this sutra is the following. If you perform Samyama on Hridaya, the void in Sushumna Nadi, the void in the middle channel, which is coordinated from Sahasrara, from Brahmarandra, more precisely. So again, a Samyama on Brahmarandra and on the central channel, then you are going to reach awareness of the mind, full control of the mind, full understanding of the mind. Why? Because this Madhya, this center, this Hridaya, this Brahmarandra is above the mind, it's above Ajna already. And if you reach to that level, you are already at a spiritual level from the crown chakra, from where the mind can be understood, overseen, and uh, overso, uh, overseen, and it can be also controlled. And therefore, this is the second meaning, which makes this a much more spiritual samyama. The first samyama is simple. If you do samyama like crazy on the heart chakra, you are going to become a sort of Gemini-like telepath. You are going to be sensitive and heartful and aware of other people's minds, which will mean also almost that you can read their thoughts, because for you people are somehow transparent, because you can so easily feel what they think, because you are sensitive and telepathic in a certain way. But the second meaning of it is a more advanced spiritual technique which says if you perform Samyama on the top of the head and on the central channel, which means this, this central channel is described like a test tube, like a glass tube in the laboratory. A channel which is open up here and the rest is like a hollow. So there is like a channel which runs from here down to the root chakra, but the opening of it is here. Again, like a test tube, like a laboratory glass tube. And therefore, in this way, it is long from Sahasrara to Muladhara, but the opening is only up here. So you focus on the opening and on this appendix-like thing running along the spine, which is a, the central space, which is the centering, which is uh, the Madhya, the void, the central void of the human being. And if you perform Samyama on this, you are going to get control over the mind. Most of the commentators of the Yoga Sutra favor the first translation. They say here Patanjali most probably talks about becoming telepathic, Gemini-like telepath, Mercurian telepath-like, and somehow from the heart. There are a few who favor the second uh, 
translation, but they call the attention that in this case, basically Patanjali talks about a form of Samadhi. Because if again, if you perform Samyama on the top of the head, and from there you reach awareness of the mind, that is exactly like in the Tibetan Mahamudra, which is trying, is a method, and so many others, Vipassana as well, ultimately, that they are trying to reach total awareness, and uh, among others, or last of all, as the most difficult of them all, awareness of the mind, to be able to look at your own mind, to see, to be aware of it, and therefore this means already a state of Samadhi, because you have transcended the mind, and therefore here, if we accept the second translation, it is like Patanjali speaks about the Samyama, which yields a form of Samadhi, not a paranormal capacity. In the first translation, the Samyama on the heart chakra yields a paranormal capability, a sort of telepathic empathy from the heart. But in the second exception, the more spiritual understanding, Patanjali also describes a technique of focusing on the void of the center, on the central void, and thus going beyond mind. It is funny, again, that this same technique is found identically almost, but of course with technical precision, uh, with technical details, again in the famous meditation text, Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, where it is again one of the forms of meditation that is supposed to yield samadhi and enlightenment. And therefore, again, while not long time before Patanjali spoke about Taraka, and that we find it in other traditions, now Patanjali describes the Samyama, which could be interpreted also as one of the methods of meditation that produces superconsciousness and the state of Samadhi, if we interpret Kridaya as the central void, as the void of the Spirit. So, in this way, this has been the Sutra number 30. And we are going to stop here. It is late enough for tonight. We have stopped at the Sutra number 33 for this season. Next season, when I'll start, when I'll continue commenting on the Yoga Sutra, I will remind the context for a few minutes, and then I will start with commenting the Sutra number 34 from chapter 3.